Volume One, Part Three, Chapter Nine of Doctor Wardle's School by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine: Mrs. Wardle and Mr. Puddicombe. In this way, nothing was said at the first telling of the story to decide the fate of the schoolmaster and of the lady whom we shall still call his wife. There certainly had been no horror displayed by the doctor. Whether you can remain here is another question. The doctor, during the whole interview, had said nothing harder than that. Mr. Peacock, as he left the rectory, did feel that the doctor had been very good to him. There had not only been no horror, but an expression of the kindest sympathy. And as to the going, that was left in doubt. He himself felt that he ought to go. But it would have been so very sad to have to go without a friend left with whom he could consult, as to his future condition. "'He has been very kind, then,' said Mrs. Peacock to her husband, when he related to her the particulars of the interview very kind and he did not reproach you not a word nor me he declared that had it been he who was in question he would have clung to you for ever and ever did he then will he leave us here that does not follow i should think not he will know that others must know it your brother-in-law will not tell him only lefroy when he finds that he can get no money here from sheer revenge will tell the story everywhere when he left the rectory he was probably as angry with the doctor as he is with me he will do all the harm that he can to all of us we must go then i should think so your position here would be insupportable even if it could be permitted you may be sure of this everybody will know it what do i care for everybody she said it is not that i am ashamed of myself no dearest nor am i ashamed of myself or of you but there will be bitter words, and bitter words will produce bitter looks and scant respect. How would it be with you if the boys looked at you as though they thought ill of you? They would not. Oh, they would not. Or the servants, if they reviled you. Could it come to that? It must not come to that. But it is as the doctor said himself just now. A man cannot isolate the morals, the manners, the ways of his life from the morals of others. Men, if they live together, must live together by certain laws then there can be no hope for us none that i can see as far as bowick is concerned we are too closely joined in our work with other people there is not a boy here with whose father and mother and sisters we are not more or less connected when i was preaching in the church there was not one in the parish with whom i was not connected would it do do you think for a priest to preach against drunkenness whilst he himself was a noted drunkard are we like that it is not what the drunken priest might think of himself but what others might think of him it would not be with us the position which we know that we hold together but that which others would think it to be if i were in dr wortle's case and another were to me as i am to him i should bid him go you would turn him away from you him and his wife i should my first duty would be to my parish and to my school if i could befriend him otherwise i would do so and that is what i expect from dr wortle we shall have to go and i shall be forced to approve of our dismissal in this way mr peacock came definitely and clearly to a conclusion in his own mind but it was very different with dr wardle the story so disturbed him that during the whole of that afternoon he did not attempt to turn his mind to any other subject he even went so far as to send over to mr puddicombe and ask for some assistance for the afternoon service on the following day he was too unwell he said to preach himself and the one curate would have the two entire services unless mr puddicombe could help him could mr puddicombe come himself and see him on the sunday afternoon this note he sent away by a messenger who came back with a reply saying that mr puddicombe would himself preach in the afternoon and would afterwards call in at the rectory 
for an hour or two before his dinner the doctor went out on horseback and roamed about among the lanes endeavouring to make up his mind he was hitherto altogether at a loss as to what he should do in this present uncomfortable emergency he could not bring his conscience and his inclination to come square together and even when he counselled himself to yield to his conscience his very conscience a second conscience as it were revolted against the first his first conscience told him that he owed a primary duty to his parish a second duty to his school and a third to his wife and daughter in the performance of all these duties he would be bound to rid himself of mr peacock but then there came that other conscience telling him that the man had been more sinned against than sinning that common humanity required him to stand by a man who had suffered so much and had suffered so unworthily then this second conscience went on to remind him that the man was pre-eminently fit for the duties which he had undertaken that the man was a god-fearing moral and especially intellectual assistant in his school that were he to lose him he could not hope to find any one that would be his equal or at all approaching to him in capacity this second conscience went further and assured him that the man's excellence as a schoolmaster was even increased by the peculiarity of his position do we not all know that if a man be under a cloud the very cloud will make him more attentive to his duties than another if a man for the wages which he receives can give to his employer high character as well as work he will think that he may lighten his work because of his character and as to this man who was the very phoenix of school assistance there would really be nothing amiss with his character if only this piteous incident as to his wife were unknown in this way his second conscience almost got the better of the first but then it would be known it would be impossible that it should not be known he had already made up his mind to tell mr puddicombe absolutely not daring to decide in such an emergency without consulting some friend mr puddicombe would hold his peace if he were to promise to do so certainly he might be trusted to do that but others would know it the bishop would know it mrs stantiloup would know it that man of course would take care that all broughton with its close full of cathedral clergymen would know it when mrs stantiloup should know it there would not be a boy's parent throughout all the school who would not know it if he kept the man he must keep him resolving that all the world should know that he kept him that all the world should know of what nature was the married life of the assistant in whom he trusted and he must be prepared to face all the world confiding in the uprightness and the humanity of his purpose in such case he must say something of this kind to all the world i know that they are not married i know that their condition of life is opposed to the law of god and man i know that she bears a name that is not in truth her own but i think that the circumstances in this case are so strange so peculiar that they excuse a disregard even of the law of god and man had he courage enough for this and if the courage were there was he high enough and powerful enough to carry out such a purpose could he beat down the mrs stantiloups and indeed could he beat down the bishop and the bishop's phalanx for he knew that the bishop and the bishop's phalanx would be against him they could not touch him in his living because mr peacock would not be concerned in the services of the church but would not his school melt away to nothing in his hands if he were to attempt to carry it on after this fashion and then would he not have destroyed himself without advantage to the man whom he was anxious to assist to only one point did he make up his mind certainly during that ride before he slept that night he would tell the whole story to his wife he had at first thought that he would conceal it from her it was his rule of life to act so entirely on his own will that he rarely consulted her on matters of any importance as it was he could not endure the responsibility of acting by himself people would say of him that he had subjected his wife to contamination and had done so without giving her any choice in the matter so he resolved that he would tell his wife not married said mrs wardle when she heard the story 
married yes they were married it was not their fault that the marriage was nothing what was he to do when he heard that they had been deceived in this way not married properly poor woman yes indeed what should i have done if such had happened to me when we had been six months married it couldn't have been why not as well to you as to another i was only a young girl but if you had been a widow don't my dear don't it wouldn't have been possible but you pity her oh yes and you see that a great misfortune has fallen upon her which she could not help not till she knew it said the wife who had been married quite properly and what then what should she have done then gone said the wife who had no doubt as to the comfort the beauty the perfect security of her own position gone gone away at once whither should she go who would have taken her by the hand who would have supported her would you have had her lay herself down in the first gutter and die better that than what she did do said mrs wardle then by all the faith i have in christ i think you are hard upon her do you think what it is to have to go out and live alone to have to look for your bread in desolation i have never been tried my dear said she clinging close to him i have never had anything but what was good ought we not to be kind to one to whom fortune has been so unkind if we can do so without sin sin i despise the fear of sin which makes us think that its contact will soil us her sin if it be sin is so near akin to virtue that i doubt whether we should not learn of her rather than avoid her a woman should not live with a man unless she be his wife mrs wardle said this with more of obstinacy than he had expected she was his wife as far as she knew but when she knew that it was not so any longer then she should have left him and have starved i suppose she might have taken bread from him you think then that she should go away from here do you not think so what would mrs stantelope say and i am to turn them out into the cold because of a virago such as she is you would have no more charity than that oh geoffrey what would the bishop say cannot you get beyond mrs stantelope and beyond the bishop and think what justice demands the boys would all be taken away if you had a son would you send him where there was a schoolmaster living living oh you wouldn't it was very clear to the doctor that his wife's mind was made up on the subject and yet there was no softer-hearted woman than mrs wardle anywhere in the diocese or one less likely to be severe upon a neighbour not only was she a kindly gentle woman but she was one who always had been willing to take her husband's opinion on all questions of right and wrong she however was decided that they must go on the next morning after service which the schoolmaster did not attend the doctor saw mr peacock and declared his intention of telling the story to mr puddicombe if you bid me hold my tongue he said i will do so but it will be better that i should consult another clergyman he is a man who can keep a secret then mr peacock gave him full authority to tell everything to mr puddicombe he declared that the doctor might tell the whole story to whom he would everybody might know it now he had he said quite made up his mind about that what was the good of affecting secrecy when this man lefroy was in the country in the afternoon after service mr puddicombe came up to the house and heard it all he was a dry thin apparently unsympathetic man but just withal and by no means given to harshness he could pardon whenever he could bring himself to believe that pardon would have good results but he would not be driven by impulses and softness of heart to save the faulty one from an effect of his fault merely because that effect would be painful he was a man of no great mental calibre not sharp and quick 
and capable of repartee as was the doctor but rational in all things and always guided by his conscience he has behaved very badly to you he said when he heard the story i do not think so i have no such feeling myself he behaved very badly in bringing her here without telling you all the facts considering the position that she was to occupy he must have known that he was deceiving you i can forgive all that said the doctor vehemently as far as i am myself concerned i forgive everything you are not entitled to do so how not entitled you must pardon me if i seem to take a liberty in expressing myself too boldly in this matter of course i should not do so unless you ask me i want you to speak freely all that you think in considering his conduct we have to consider it all first of all there came a great and terrible misfortune which cannot but excite our pity according to his own story he seems up to that time to have been affectionate and generous i believe every word of it said the doctor allowing for a man's natural bias on his own side so do i he had allowed himself to become attached to another man's wife but we need not perhaps insist upon that the doctor moved himself uneasily in his chair but said nothing we will grant that he put himself right by his marriage though in that no doubt there should have been more of caution then came his great misfortune he knew that his marriage had been no marriage he saw the man and had no doubt quite so quite so said the doctor impatiently he should of course have separated himself from her there can be no doubt about it there is no room for any quibble quibble said the doctor i mean that no reference in our own minds to the pity of the thing to the softness of the moment should make us doubt about it feelings such as these should induce us to pardon sinners even to receive them back into our friendship and respect when they have seen the error of their ways and have repented you are very hard i hope not at any rate i can only say as i think but in truth in the present emergency you have nothing to do with all that if he asked you for counsel you might give it to him but that is not his present position he has told you his story not in a spirit of repentance but because such telling had become necessary he would have told it all the same though this man had never come let us grant that it is so there still remains his relation to you he came here under false pretences and has done you a serious injury i think not said the doctor would you have taken him into your establishment had you known it all before certainly not therefore i say that he has deceived you i do not advise you to speak to him with severity but he should i think be made to know that you appreciate what he has done and you would turn him off send him away at once out upon his business certainly i would send him away you think him such a reprobate that he should not be allowed to earn his bread anywhere i have not said so i know nothing of his means of earning his bread men living in sin earn their bread constantly but he certainly should not be allowed to earn his here not though that man who was her husband should now be dead and he should again marry legally marry this woman to whom he has been so true and loyal as regards you and your school said mr puddicombe i do not think it would alter his position with this the conference ended and mr puddicombe took his leave as he left the house the doctor declared to himself that the man was a straight-laced fanatical hard-hearted bigot but though he said so to himself he hardly thought so and was aware that the man's words had had effect upon him. End of chapter 9